talking about the case of Jennifer Kess, who was born on May the 20th, 1981. In her early years, she'd attended the Vivian Gaither High School in Tampa, Florida, until she graduated and moved on to the University of Central Florida in Orlando, where she majored in finance and graduated in 2003. Jennifer landed a job working as a finance manager at the Central Florida Investments Timeshare Company and was earning her own money. She was excited that she could purchase her own condo. It was 2006. Jennifer was dating a man that she seemed to be quite in love with. She was excited when they booked this really lovely holiday or vacation, as you say in America, to St. Croix in the US Virgin Islands. After sunning herself, swimming, drinking cocktails and living the life, (laughs) she flew home. And the two returned home on the Sunday and spent the night together at her boyfriend's home. Jennifer was working again on Monday morning, so she needed to be up early and she went straight from her boyfriend's house to work the following day on the Monday, the 23rd. So it was the 23rd of January, 2006, and Jennifer drove to work in the morning and after a long day, she ended up coming out of work in a bag on the seat of the car and started to drive home. Whilst driving home, she called her dad for a catch-up and she called her father. She usually called him after work and it was 6.15pm. And on returning home to her condo, she later calls the boyfriend as well at 10pm. Now, as far as I'm aware, this conversation did not go brilliantly because they had, they'd just spent so much great time together and... Unfortunately, with them living um, like two to three hours apart, it was a bit of a long distance relationship and they just spent all that time together on holiday and, you know, they were just feeling kind of the distance was was quite a lot. So the, the conversation didn't go as planned, but they said their goodnights and that was that was that. That was the last time he spoke to her. The following morning, she set off to work. She was always in the habit of texting or telephoning her boyfriend um, when she was on her way to work or after work. But this morning, it was unusual when she did neither. She didn't text him or call him at all. But she had mentioned that there may be a meeting. So he wasn't too sure if that was just the case. Anyway, her boyfriend tried calling her, but his calls went to voicemail. When Jennifer failed to attend at work that day, her employer looked up her emergency contact details for her parents as it was really unusual for Jennifer just to not turn up. Jennifer's parents lived two hours away, but they set out straight away to drive over from their home to hers as it was so unlike her and they knew something must be terribly wrong. Jennifer's parents noticed that her car was missing from her home, but saw nothing out of the ordinary in the condo. A wet towel and clothes were laid out on the bed as if she was getting ready for the day. And this, among other things, suggested that she'd showered, dressed and prepared for work that morning. The parents contacted many of Jennifer's friends and family who were all helped by distributing flyers about Jennifer all around the town. That evening, the Orlando Police Department organised search parties on foot 
and on horseback, as well as boat, helicopter, car and ATV. The police got to work looking for any leads. They spoke to her boyfriend, her best friend, colleagues at work, neighbours. They were going door to door and looking for any cameras in the area. Her condo was tested for any blood or any evidence to suggest there was a struggle or efforts and efforts made to locate her car as that could give them more of an idea of what might have happened to her. The family and friends knew that Jennifer would never just disappear. She had a good job, she enjoyed, she was earning her own money, she had this great condo that she'd just bought. She'd been with this boyfriend a short time but she seemed to be really happy with him. She had a good car of her own, they'd just been on holiday. Talking to her every day, the family said that it was just unusual that she had not called them or contacted them. And they said that they hadn't picked up on the fact that she was depressed or fed up or anything like that. So police got to work trying to draw up a timeline of events. They were able to determine by by examining footage from her work that Jennifer did leave work at 6pm on the Monday evening that she spoke to her father whilst driving home at 6.15, as we thought. And then they also reviewed footage at her condo, which saw that she did return home on the Monday after work, being, and this was for the first time since the holiday, because after the holiday, she'd stayed at a boyfriend's house. So she had called the boyfriend at 10pm, as he said, and they'd said their goodnights, and that was the last time he'd spoke to her. So investigators initially believed that Jennifer was abducted as she was walking from her front door to her car between 7.30 and 8am, but later changed their minds stating that they now believed that she left home and was abducted at some point on her way to work. So Jennifer's boyfriend, whom would normally call, uh, she would normally call on her way to work, did not get any calls from her between 8 and 9 So he tries to call her and it goes directly to voicemail, which is unusual because she never turns her phone off. He chalks it up to her being in this meeting, as we mentioned before, and goes about his day. But his subsequent attempts are unsuccessful to contact her. And at 11am, alarmed at Jennifer's uncharacteristic no-call, no-show, her employer contacts her parents and they start to drive over from um, Tampa, It was then that uh, Jennifer's parents called to say that, got the call to say that she'd failed uh, to show up for work. Um, And on the way, her parents called to ask the manager of the condo to please check her home by obtaining a spare key. When he calls them back, he reports that everything appears normal, but that her car is missing from outside the apartment or the condo, shall we say. At 12pm, only 1.2 miles or 1.9 kilometres from Jennifer's home, surveillance cameras at an apartment complex recorded an unknown person parking Jennifer's car walk away. The car and the footage were discovered two days later. Between 3pm and 3.15pm that day, Jennifer's parents and brother arrive at her apartment. They find evidence that she had been home that morning and they call the police. 
the shower there was makeup all over the vanity there was the t-shirt that she'd been wearing for bed that night on the floor and the shower seemed to still be wet now as jennifer was an adult the police initially stated that she may have just left on her own volition between 5 and 7 p.m family and friends saturate the area with flyers that show her picture and the police send a detective to her home and begin interrogations and searches. On Thursday, the news releases, releases info about Jennifer's disappearance. And at 8.10am, after seeing Jennifer's car on the news, a tenant of a nearby complex informs the police that he's seen the car abandoned in front of his apartment for several days. Please confirm that this is Jennifer's 2004 Chevy Malibu and the vehicle is photographed and taken for forensic examination. The police examined local surveillance footage and discover an unidentified person parking her car and walking away. With no sign of forced entry or a struggle, investigators initially theorised that on the morning of January the 24th, Jennifer left her apartment for work, locked her front door, only to be abducted at some point while walking towards or getting into her car. On January the 26th, around 10am, the black 2004 Chevy Malibu was found parked at another complex about a mile from her home. Investigators were excited to learn that there were several hidden cameras at these apartments that surveyed the parking lot where the car had been parked and the exit. The surveillance footage showed an unidentified person of interest dropping Jennifer's vehicle off at approximately noon on the day she went missing. The family and friends all watched the footage to see if they could recognise the person in it, but none of the family or friends recognised the person whose physical features were not clear on the video. Investigators were disheartened to find that the best video capture of this subject in three separate snapshots was obscured by the complex fencing. The posts aligning to conceal the face. And in the media, one journalist called the suspect the luckiest person of interest ever. The FBI was called in to help to determine the person's size and gender, but could only say that the person stood between five foot three and five foot five. The police requested NASA to help who enhanced the video to help identify the suspect and detectives looked for any valuables left in the car to imply maybe it was a robbery and that was the motive. A search dog tracked a scent that led from her parked car back to her complex, prompting detectives to believe that the suspect might have returned to the apartment's parking lot after abandoning the car but no other evidence was found along the route and a forensic examination of the car yielded little in the way of evidence only a latent print and a small dna fiber was found investigators deduced that the car had been wiped down by the perpetrator and it was noted that the following items were known to be missing her cell phone her ipad her keys her purse her briefcase and the outfit she was wearing that day. Authorities were unable to ping her cell phone as its power was off. Her bank account key card had not been used since her disappearance. 
which was never a good sign. As it's customary, investigators first questioned Jennifer's immediate family and close friends to see if any of them had any motive to abduct her. Her ex-boyfriend, who she'd been with fairly recently, was upset and he'd been wishing that they would get back together. He was interrogated, but it was concluded that he had nothing to do with her abduction. And her current boyfriend, the boyfriend that she'd vacationed with, was also questioned, but his alibi checked out, eliminating him as a suspect also. At the time of her disappearance, the condo complex had been undergoing a major expansion and many of the labourers on the site were non-English speaking. Jennifer had some of her family members on several occasions Jennifer had told many of her family members on several occasions that the construction workers had been constantly catcalling or whistling and harassing her, which she'd found quite annoying. But due to the language barrier, investigators struggled to interrogate many of them. No other leads regarding them were discovered and detectives then turned their focus to her place of employment and began questioning her co-workers Her computer was taken for forensic examination, which revealed that a manager where she worked desired a relationship with her, but it was unreciprocated and she had refused his advances. She had often said that she opposed workplace relationships. I've done this and I can tell you it's not a good thing. Detectives interviewed the manager multiple times, but ultimately ruled him out as a suspect. Investigators and... Jennifer's friends and family remained open to the theory that she fell victim to human T-R-A-F-F-I-C-K-I-N-G but consider it less likely than others. In May 2007, a year later, Jennifer's company led by David Segal offered a 1 million reward for information leading to her whereabouts with a July 4th deadline and the stipulation that she had to be alive was never claimed and then a 5,000 reward for information leading to the whereabouts of her remains was available through the central Florida crime line. The case received state and national press attention at the time of her disappearance on the 2nd of May 2008 on on her disappearance but on the 2nd of May 2008 the Florida House of Representatives passed Senate Bill 502 Jennifer Kessie and Tiffany Sessions Missing Persons Act to reform how missing persons cases are handled in Florida. As of June the 10th, 2010, the FBI had taken over the case from the Orlando Police Department and it did so as the urging of police chief Val Demings. The latest search for her took place in February 2014 and investigators continued to receive and pursue leads. In 2018, Jennifer's parents filed a suit against Orlando Police Department to gain access to police records on the case. The lawsuit was settled in March 2019, allowing the family access to 16,000 pages of records. In December 2022, it was reported that the investigation into Jennifer's disappearance had turned over to the Florida Department of Law Enforcement Cold Case Unit, which intended to interview people that Jennifer knew or could be possible suspects. 
and to revisit any evidence that Jennifer's family says has never been retested. Jennifer is still missing and she's still considered an endangered missing person by the Orlando Police Department, FBI, Orange County Sheriff's Office, etc. She remains missing and on the FBI's most wanted missing list. If you have any information or you know where Jennifer Kessie could be, then please contact the, or- the Orlando Police Department or the FBI.